What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, flamethrowers, and welcome to this week's episode of Burn It All Down. It is the feminist sports podcast you need. Shireen here, and I am joined by the wonderful Lindsay and amazing Brenda. Hello, friends. How are we doing today? Hi. We're good. (laughs) Hi. Good. Good. This week, our episode is phenomenal. We're going to get into a personal favorite topic of mine, one that I interrogate and immerse myself in, food. Food and sports. I really want to see this correlated to his performance. You really should. I want someone (laughs) to like do like, how does Steph Curry perform when in a bad popcorn arena? Before we start off, I actually have an announcement that I would like to make. Can I get a drum roll or a whistle or a toot toot or whatever you guys want to do, please? Wait, you want us to do a drum roll now? The Burn It All Down team is going on break for the month of June. Yay resting, yay retooling, yay recalibrating. We will, however, be dropping new interviews. And you can't see Brenda doing these amazing air symbols. So thank you for that. Um, And this is going to be amazing. We're going to come back with our usual fantastic and timely coverage, particularly around the Olympics. So look for those interviews in your feed. And I do hope everybody gets a chance for some repose in the month of June, along with your favorite podcasters. Now, books. Books for kids. I love kids' books. I actually have a really fun kids book collection that I don't share with my actual children. But I wanted to talk about something really quickly. Bonnie Sui, friend of the show, who was actually with us on episode 71, actually dropped a new book called Sarah and the Big Wave, the true story of the first woman to surf the Mavericks. And she's a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful writer. And the book is gorgeous. And congratulations to Bonnie. I suggest everybody pick it up. So in addition to Bonnie's new book, which is absolutely my favorite, it's written by a racialized woman. It's about women in sport and particularly in surfing. I wanted to ask what your favorite books are for kids around sport. Lindsay. Uh, So this is, I am not a parent, so, (laughs) Uh, and I didn't really read sports books as a child. So this, this question not super duper in my wheelhouse, just a confession. But a few years ago, Ivory Lotta, who was at the time of the Washington Mystics, released a children's book called Despite the Height about, uh, you know, how she succeeded in basketball despite being short. And uh, I was covering the Mystics at the time. And so I ordered it and gave it to my little uh, niece and... It's very good. It's a very fun book. So I'm going to say that one. I love that. Um, I also wanted to mention uh, 
Batuli Kamara, who's been on our show, former UConn player, and also Kayla Gray, who plays for the Canadian National Women's Basketball Team, also WNBA, also wrote children's books, and they're great. You should check them out. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Le Charme d'Aidoké by Roque Carrier, which is a staple in probably every Canadian home, talking about a young boy who's a Montreal Canadiens fan, but who gets his mother accidentally orders a Maple Leafs uh, jersey and he has to wear it. And it's a beautiful story. Um, It's absolutely one of the first stories where you know, you interrogate the idea of being left out in such a pronounced way. It's actually a really, really great story. I was fortunate enough to be on the Maple Leafs podcast last year to talk about that. And it's great. We'll put it in the show notes just for fun. Brenda, you're a mama. You're an educator. You read. You read about sports. Tell me your faves. I do. And both of you are making me want to read these things. Um, But I have to admit the first time I heard this question what are your favorite children's sports book? Uh, All I could think of is all the books I've read by kind of um, romanticizing uh, white male journalists. And I thought, by children? (laughs) That most of the sports books I read feel like they're by children, for children. Um, And I know that's mean, but it's also true. So I find a lot of sports books, I hate to say this, but have a very romanticized view of sports. And I guess my kids haven't had such a seamless integration, like their gym classes, their scrimmages with boys. My girls haven't always had this triumphalist experience. And um, I guess they just, maybe that's why they just never loved the ones that are kind of laying around. Um, But yeah, now you're inspiring me. Food. We need it. We love it. We think about <laughs> Are we doing... Is this an ad? For food? <laughs> Just food in general? Did you know that food needed a publicist? It found Because one. if it does, it's Shireen. Uh... <laughs> okay. I love food. I like, I do. I I feel strongly about this. <laughs> it's a controversial take. <laughs> please read it. Please. Please continue to read it. <laughs> okay. I, I'll, I will be quiet. I promise not to laugh. Please do it. Okay. Food. We love it. We think about it. It is important in our sports spaces. In preparing for this segment, there were so many topics that we could cross weave into the field of sports. The field of sports, get it? So I wanted to talk today about food, the history, the idea behind it, either sold in stadiums or traditions around sports traditions and celebrations. Brenda. So um, there's something I just feel, I'm so sorry for being such a downer all the time, Um, but I, you know, I I don't like make the world this way. It's not my fault that everything's broken. Um, She's not that sorry. I am a little bit because I I support passion for food in this case, but I I feel like we have to preface it by saying, I think it's like too far food contests, food eating contests. 
they make me really sad. Um, and I just have to say, like, so when I think food and sports, I, I want to just make sure that we can still condemn, um, you know, the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, for example, um, which takes place in Brooklyn every 4th of July. I've been there. It's been going on since 1916. And, you know, New York's a place where there have been, like, refugees from famine. And there's this just, you know, what is more patriotic and American than, than you know, forcing down 100 hot dogs in 20 minutes? 100? Jeez, I, I don't even know. Whatever it is, it's bleh. And... Any, anyway, that's first on the list of our of our preface, and now we can get to the fun stuff, I feel like. That's what I wanted to get into, like traditions around food and around sport, and like whether it's peanuts at a baseball game. Mm-hmm. Buy, you know what's that song? Buy me some peanuts and, peanuts crack- and cracker jacks. I think mm-hmm. what what's really interesting is around food in different places. Like I was in Argentina during the 2018 World Cup and there's a tradition of having uh, carbonated water and an espresso as you watch a game. That's it. And that's very much what I saw in these cafes. And I'm yes. exactly right. And so the different places in different world. I come from a family that is really, a, you know, Pakistani family that's super into cricket. When we watch it, we have kebab rolls with paratha. And like, I actually, my foray into cricket was because of the food, was the traditions. And, you know, that's obviously layered with family traditions and whatnot. But the idea of food being sport also intrigued me. So the Thrillist, there's a really good article we'll link in the show notes. I found out about the pea shooting championships. This is a thing. In a small English village of Wichtham, so I'm going to read this. Every year, literally tens of people, not tens of thousands, tens of people gather in the little <laughs> English village of Wichem to compete in the World Pea Shooting Championships. Competitors stand 12 feet away from a circular target made of putty and fire pea beans as strongly and accurately as their lungs and eyes will allow. Not to be confused with firing pea streams at a supporting event, which is pretty much given after six $12 beers. Uh, some competitors have developed specialized laser-sighted pea shooters, much to the dismay of their more traditional counterparts who prefer to do things the old-fashioned way. Picture an arms race, only less deadly and more silly. The best shot at Witcham gets crowned pea shooting champion for that year and enjoys all the perks that go along with it, mainly just bragging rights of the best pea shooter in Witcham. So I found this fascinating. And also maybe they were bored. Well, you know, it's funny because kind of the whole emergence of modern sport um, does tend to happen around agrarian cycles. So the idea that, so there is a connection with food in terms of, you know, in the medieval period when you don't have enough to do, um, you know, it's like a harvest festival because you're done with harvesting all the food and that's where we see like games being created and modern sport kind of take hold um and a lot of that yeah has to do with those cycles or even baseball in southern california um there's a great article by jose alamillo where um the farm managers didn't want farm workers to unionize but then the cycle meant they didn't have that much to do so baseball kind of took hold there as one of the ways that they encouraged workers to kind of um, make use of their time. And have we seen that kind of solidarity in other places in sport? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, that's you mentioned Argentina. A big part of the emergence of football there is labor unions um, pushing it. Um, but but anyway, I mean, I think the agrarian traditions has a link with food that's kind of interesting. So I guess I'm not surprised about the pea shooters, whatever. I don't I don't know that I can really picture the pea laser pea shooting, but it makes sense to me that there's some connection there. I mean, in the article, it looks like the photos of all the equipment is pretty much handmade. Like, I don't know if there's like a big industry for pea shooting equipment or not. I'm not sure. You know, there's something else that I wanted to mention is about, as we talk about workers and, and the industry, is vendors, Brenda. And that's something that you looked into as well. Yeah, I remember um, in February and March on Burn It All Down, we discussed this and we were taking a look as, um, you know, COVID really started to hit and sports started to be canceled. There were workers that were being laid off really early, like the vendors and stadium workers. And um, there was even um, some players volunteering their salary to keep the workers employed. And it really laid bare um, the vulnerability of that sector of sports workers. Um, and then, you know, then there was pressure on the owners, like why are rookies, you know, who don't have the biggest contracts um, on the team and not the owners uh, stepping forward to help some of these vendors? Because that is one of the exciting things about going to sporting events. Or I think it's fun. Even if as a vegetarian, I don't eat all of their stuff. It's still cool, like, to have somebody like, walking around and a lot of these vendors have their own like dances and chants and songs and they become kind of like figures and icons um of the sport uh local you know local heroes and it keeps it kind of local and tv can't really convey that so it's one of the things you know that i think makes it exciting about live events Lindsay, speaking about food and stadiums um, you came across some really interesting stuff, too. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, I always associate, personally, stadium food as just being really expensive and like a treat, basically kind of like a movie theater thing, you know, where you go in and part of the price of the whole thing is buying the $10 popcorn or whatever it is and, you know, the overpriced beers and everything and you know, I've certainly had that experience at Carolina Panthers games, at Bank of America Stadium, and um, Washington Nationals games. And, you know, eating is part of it, right? Treating yourself to some foods and some drinks at the when you go to these sporting events. But I found in, um, apparently a couple of years ago, Eater wrote an article about how some NFL teams are because ticket prices became so exorbitant, you know, basically you can't get into NFL games for less than $100 now, right? Even the the nosebleeds. So there are some of these really gaudy stadiums that are trying to kind of like offset that with cheaper food. So Arthur Blank did this for the Atlanta Falcons games. You can get like a refillable soda for $2, pretzels, hot dogs, popcorn, all $2. Apparently the Baltimore Orioles do this a similar thing. Um, the Atlanta Hawks, the Detroit Lions. Um, I think the Masters Golf Tournament famously like has like really cheap prices that are kind of remain the same over the years. And I do have to say, like, that's interesting to me. Like, I like the idea of 
kind of almost your ticket price, right? Like subsidizing the food cost a little bit and that just kind of being part of it. I think my only concern um, is just, I mean, the vendors and the people working there should get paid more anyways. So, you know, making sure that these lower prices doesn't impact their pay, but I'm assuming they don't get more of the higher prices. So. So I have a lot of questions like about that and just in a sense, right? Like how does it affect them? Are they independently owned businesses within that that rent out the space? Like while I do appreciate the experience being cheaper for the fans, I think about the small business owners at the same time. And lowering prices of food, like if you've got vendors that have traditions of really good food, lowering the price means the food will be processed and not as healthy. And then, you know, as I said this, I'm thinking about going to eat at the Scotiabank Center in Toronto is ridiculously expensive. Um, like, are those peanut M&Ms really worth $6 a pack? Like, are they? They're very expensive. But then again, the Rogers Center in Toronto has excellent French fries. And I think about this a lot as I engage in sporting events. When y'all come to Toronto, well, check it out. In fact, if anyone's out there that wants to us burn it all down to do a food tour, please email because I would be very open to this at stadiums. But Lindsay, food associating with different sporting events. What do you got? What is your experience with different foods and different sports? Yeah, I mean, right now I'm just thinking about being in college in New York and speaking of expensive stadium foods, when we would go to Yankees games, like when I was at NYU and then in my early 20s, we would go to, there was this random corner store, you know, typical New York deli, like a couple blocks away that was kind of hidden off the main. So we go in there and buy 40s and brown bag them and just chug the 40s <laughs> before we would go into the games because we were all broke. So we didn't have to spend that much money on beer when we got in there. And I'll admit, I think sometimes we were underage and probably couldn't get beer in there, but the corner store didn't care. So uh, I do have a great memory of just being young and brown bagging 40s before Yankees games, which is just like hard to fathom that much alcohol right now. <laughs> but Brenda, do you have something like that? A memory like that? If I brown bagged 40s, um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been known to brown bag a 40. Um, but in South America, you can't bring in any alcohol to football games because it, well, first of all, yeah, you would, they're just throwing stuff on the field and trying to hurt players and then they get drunk and hurt each other. And um, that was one of the controversies of the 2014 World Cup was when Budweiser as a sponsor tried to force Brazil and did force Brazil with, with FIFA's um, muscle to, to sell alcohol in the stadiums. And they really don't. And they really ban that. Um, so there's a lot of chugging 40s before the game. People are showing up pretty drunk because they can't get drunk when they're there. Um, so that's kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, but also football lasts about one one hundredth of the time of baseball. So um, it kind of goes by quickly and then and then you're out of there and then there's a lot of kerfuffles after and around the stadium. So what that means is that rather than so much within the stadium, there's a lot of food, especially like pizza around Brazilian stadiums 
And um, that is an, a smell that I associate. And there's this idea that you have to kind of cram it all in right before. It's more of a tailgate experience than the commodified um, food that we see here. Though that's changing because owners are looking at places like Yankee Stadium and going like, oh, we can make, you know, another $100 million this year or whatever. Linz, so some of the sporting events have particular foods. You know, I always think of tennis and all the different foods associated with the different tennis tournaments. you got strawberries and cream and the Pims at Wimbledon, which are your classic. The U.S. Open tennis tournament is, like, known for having incredible food because it's in New York. I mean, it is uh, overpriced, but you can get every single, you know, it's basically, like, an excerpt of the New York streets, right, that they kind of bring in. So it's way more... Um, variety than your typical like food court you know and uh, I love it and you know for things like tennis tournaments it's really key because you're going for an all you know and until you get to the final rounds you're not going those you're going for just one match but like early on you know that first week you're often going for the entire day you know you buy day passes so a huge part of the experience at a tournament is um, where you get food and drinks, right? Because you're going to take breaks and you're going to, um, you know, experience the grounds. And that's just like a huge, huge part of tennis. French Open, I don't know what they eat, but every single time there's a midday match, there are no French people there because they are having three-hour lunches every day. <laughs> so it's just like, it's this thing where like with the corporate boxes are like completely empty, even if it's like an adult match starting at like noon. Like it's empty because they like they will not have their long lunches interrupted, and I appreciate you know I respect that. And then the Australian Open, uh, of course, there's the Vegemite, uh, which is a sponsor, and every year they do funny compilations of you know non-Australian tennis players trying Vegemite for the first time and doing reactions. And those, uh, I don't know, the, the, it's always fun. It's always in good fun. The Australian Open always kind of produces them themselves, or the ATP tour the WTA tour does it and um I don't know what Vegemite is really but it's I know it's at the Australian Open and, and just a fun little anecdote the first time I went to go see a live tennis match was Serena Williams playing at the Rogers Cup in 2019 and um I didn't I'd never been to a live tennis match before and I didn't realize how quiet it was. So perhaps buying chips and a salad at the, the this concession stand wasn't the best idea because it was true. So for anybody out there who's never been to a tennis match, please don't buy chips and end up like me because literally <laughs> it is silent in this space. And I wasn't, I wasn't made aware of this before I went. So it's not like a hockey game that I'm used to. It's not like a football match that I'm used to. It's very quiet. So select your food choices accordingly. Um, one of the things that I actually did want to mention that some of the more interesting places that I found out about doing a bit and our friend of the show, Meg Linehan, told me about the Seattle Mariners serving chapolinas from what I understand them to be. Brenda explained this to me, which are crickets, which are fried crickets. Brenda, what did you explain about chapolinas? Well, they're just a very popular Mexican snack item. So they're fried and they're crispy and, you know, it's it's not quite like, you know, just the crickets um, that might be in your garden. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, it was kind of cool. It seemed like a way to include an interesting 
um, Latinx tradition, Mexican-American there. And I guess they were really popular. I mean, as a vegetarian, I count insects. So no, thank you. But um, but I, I think it was pretty cool for people to see. Yeah. I mean, there's some other really interesting celebrations. This was one of the things that when you win something big, we see after championship wins, people are spraying champagne, like the NWSL champs, Houston Dash, were walking around with their beer, (laughs) their sponsored beer. Like we see this very often. However, there is one sport that does not use champagne. The Indy 500 has a milk celebration, everybody. Milk. And this I'm also quoting from one of the articles that we'll have in the show notes. The winner sips a bottle of milk. This healthy yet weird tradition was born in 1933 when the winner, Louis Mayer, photographed drinking a glass of buttermilk after the race. A dairy company sniffed a marketing opportunity and began offering milk bottles to winners every year, a tradition that has stuck ever since. Did not know that. So in all the things, too, there are players. Lindsay, can you talk a little bit about Food in the NBA. One of the things I love about the NBA is since the seasons are so long and there's so many games, I think there's a lot of chance for kind of uh, exploration uh, of different things. So first of all, there's this New York Times piece written by Mark Stein in 2019 about Steph Curry's popcorn problem. And it's all about how popcorn is a key part of um, every single Steph Curry pregame warm-up, and I just absolutely love it. My favorite part about the Curry story, though, is that, you know, he gets the popcorn from whatever arena he is in, um, you know, as they're on these road games. He doesn't bring his own popcorn. So Mark Stein asked Curry, if he was prepared to officially compile a 1 to 29 list of the popcorn offerings at all 29 arenas. And Steph Curry, this is in the middle of it, this is 2019. I think MVP season, right? Like lots going on on the court. Uh, the article says Curry not only agreed, but also suggested scoring five factors on a scale of one to five to support the rankings freshness, saltiness, crunchiness, butter. And presentation. So Steph Curry uh, rated all 29 popcorns. And I got to say, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, the best. Total score 24. Brooklyn Nets at 23. And uh, all the way down the bottom, we've got uh, my Charlotte Hornets and then the Staples Center where the Clippers and the Lakers are. I really want to see this correlated to his performance. You really should. I want someone (laughs) to like do like, how does Steph Curry perform when in a bad popcorn arena versus a good one? And where, where is the Air Canada Center or the Scotiabank Center in Toronto on this? Like, where did we fare? You're in, I think you're in the top 10, um, actually number six so freshness is a three and crunchiness is a three but saltiness butter and presentation all got a four so (laughs) i'm at represent raptors yeah i mean this is just incredible like this really um i had actually forgotten that this article was so uh detailed and i love it absolutely so much but then there's also this kind of has a companion story by baxter holmes of espn 
all about, this was in 2017, all about what he calls the NBA secret addiction, which is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for free game. And I'm going to read you, I sorry, I got to read another lead. And I'm, I'm just going to take my time here because this just deserves, the, this Baxter Holmes lead deserves to be read. The legend has been passed down by NBA generations, chronicled like a homework odyssey. The tale they tell is of Kevin Garnett and the 2007 08 Celtics and the seminal moment of revolution. Brian Dew, Celtics strength and conditioning coach, recalls at if it were yesterday how before a game in December of that season, an unnamed Celtic, his identity lost to history, like the other horsemen on Paul Revere's midnight ride, complained to Dew of incipient hunger pains. Man, I could go for a PB&J, the player said. And then Garnett, in an act with historical reverberations, uttered the now fabled words, yeah, let's get on that. <laughs> and all of a sudden, uh, they did. And PB&J sandwiches labeled some with strawberry, some grape, some crunchy. Um, and it became an integral part, not only of, you know, the Celtics, but across the league. And, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, of thoughts in the piece of why, but one thing is just comforting. It's not that unhealthy. You know, you've got a little bit of balance of the protein, you know, and the carbs and the fat. And, uh, you know, it's just become a thing. But I just love stories like that. Okay, so call back to the top of the show where I said white male sports writing by and for children. Just want to say that's a like Paul Revere. No, but it's that's <laughs> okay. fun. It's, it's fun. adorable. Yeah. It's adorable, but but it is juvenile. But it is juvenile. It's lovely. I it love it. It sounded more like it was written by Shireen to me. With I like was the yeah. I was li- <laughs> I love this. I'm here for this report. <laughs> no, I do too. I'm just saying. You know, women's sports don't get coverage, but this does. No, I don't think that. Oh, I disagree. I would love so women's much... sports to get this type of, of coverage. I would, too. I'm just saying there's so much taken up by these types of things. It's adorable. But, you know, I think it's good proof. I volunteer as tribute to follow yes. the WNBA around yes. and watch the meet and photograph it. Like, I would yeah. be so down to do a story yeah. like this. No, I, yeah, I would read it. I don't think we have to to make it an either or thing because this is some of like my favorite stuff. Like I'm not even kidding. Like I just love like totally. I don't know. It's very humanizing, right? To think of like yeah. these these great athletes, EPB and J and Steph Curry, literally ranking, like caring so much about the popcorn that he like has his own rankings. Like that is the ultimate to me. Like stars, they're just like us. <laughs> Well, this is one of the articles that I came across in this was talking about how athletes at home, I mean, all of us remember in the beginning of the pandemic, because we all watched Serge Ibaka, who was still at the Raptors at that time, Masha Fuzi. He has a specific show about food and different kinds of foods where he feeds people. And Serge Ibaka, if you're listening, I'm happy to come on your show anytime. But just, it was a really cool article about Ines Kanter, about how cooking kebabs and his favorite is this kender kebab, Turkish food, a particular dish really helped him. And so he also is a Muslim basketball player and he likes to eat halal food and halal is specific to this type of way the meat is slaughtered. It's called zabiha. So, but it's also just labeled halal, which 
actually just means permissible. So he ranks cities like unofficially, not like Steph Curry in the organized way the popcorn is ranked, but he just generally knows that Boston has a really great scene for halal food. And so he started taking his teammates with him. And, you know, it says feeding someone as big and active as Boston Centex Seltzer, Inez Cantor. This is actually from 2019. Now, uh, Inez Cantor is actually with the Portland Trailblazers. But at this time, it was talking about him being there. And he loves going out for shawarma. He loves going out and he looks for Turkish restaurants in wherever he travels to. And people, you know, his handlers, I guess, try to find Turkish restaurants for him to go to. And when you're away, you know, he says in this, and it's really profound, um, he says, America gave me a lot. America gave me so much. But in the end, you still want to talk your own language, eat your food and hang out with your own people. And that's what food does, just bringing people together. And I think that's really great because restaurants and smaller restaurants are actually a place of community gathering. And that's something that we think about international players. And if they come, how much food means to them and how it is a connector. Like, I can't wait to eat with y'all in person. But, you know, it's fun to kind of talk about all these uh, pre-game rituals that these NBA players have and stuff. But I think it's also, you know, on a serious note, um, food and nutrition and everything is a really big part of athletes' routines, as we know. And, you know, of course, the NBA has, and a lot of these men's sports leagues have all the resources in the world to provide kind of whatever the athletes need. But in, in women's sports leagues, a lot of times, like even in CBAs, like, they have to fight to get more food offered them, like pre-practice, post-practice, pre-game. But I know that this has been a big deal, like also with the NWHL. Uh, I know it was talked about in the CBA negotiations. I'm not sure if it's in the exact exact CBA negotiations with their players association fighting to make sure they had meals paid for, like while they're on the road um, and just basic food spreads. When the Mystics um, and the Wizards um, are now the same training facility and it's a nicer training facility. And so that one of the things that they talked about the mystics players a couple years ago when they moved there was that like, they get the same. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed pre-game spreads or pre-practice spreads and food availability that the men do and just how much of a game changer like that's been for them to have all of that there and so you know um obviously popcorn and pb and j are part of part of that but uh also just getting more food provided to women athletes from their organizations is a form of care it's a form of caring for your labor and it um it matters 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? This is Shireen, and I have struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. I've often turned to counseling and therapy to help me through. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. But this service is available for clients worldwide. Flamethrowers, wherever you are, BetterHelp can help you. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, which may not even be possible in a pandemic anyway. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials that are posted there daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash burn, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they have started recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Burn It All Down listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash burn. That's betterhelp.com slash B-U-R-N. For our upcoming interview, Lindsay interviews Ashley Hart, the CEO and co-founder of ShePlays, the first U.S. fantasy sports site dedicated exclusively to women's sports. That drops on Thursday. And I would go into stores and be like, all right, let's look at all the sports magazines and let's see how many women are on the cover. And it would be like one out of 34, if one, you know? So it kind of just became an idea of like, okay, that'd be really cool to help give them more exposure and what's still missing that does exist and is popular in the men's sport side. And it came down to fantasy sports. Now, moving on to everyone's favorite segment, the burn pile. Brenda, what are you torching? So I have to thank um, flamethrower Tracy with two E's. I don't know your name, but we appreciate you um, calling our attention to first there was some rain in... (laughs) In, in the United States, in the Gulf region, if you can imagine. And um, the NCAA Baton Rouge's Women's Gulf Regional of 2021 had to be canceled. And um, a lot of people have been taking some pictures of the golf course and what it looked like. Um, including Sarah Byrne. She's also on Twitter and has um, been posting different things, including a petition. And um, basically, it was just impossible. They had no provisions for this happening. It was like as if it never rained. 
um, before. And, you know, they just had no idea what to do. And so they ended up canceling it. And then other venues offered to host it. And again, the NCAA just seemed absolutely ineffectual, like an obstacle, because they had to wait for the NCAA's permission. So not only did they not help them to reschedule it, but they became an obstacle by the slow response. So once again, why NCAA? Um, I want to burn them being an obstacle to collegiate women's sport. And also... um, you know, they just need more independence. This is just ridiculous because they, they just don't care and they're not planning. So burn. 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 I'm going to go next. Um, La Vaza Espresso is actually one of the main sponsors for Arsenal Football Club. And they are working behind the scenes. And although the FA has recently decided they're not going to take punitive measures against players, which they formally did forever about anything relating to racial justice or social justice or any type of equity-seeking campaign, Lavaza Espresso has decided that they want to silence Egyptian player Mohammed El-Nahni for his tweet supporting Palestine. And although Arsenal didn't say anything publicly against El-Nahni and the players seemingly have the right to say what they want on their own social media... Lavaz is not happy about this and feels as if sports shouldn't be political. I did not have a conversation with them, so I'm paraphrasing what their actions mean to me. And this is something that I just did a hot take on the issue of Palestine liberation in sports. And we talk about this, Dr. Sophia Zeb. It's just dropped on Friday, so have a listen to that. But specifically about the issue of players being silenced by sponsors. And although their club team may allow them or permit them to say what they want. The sponsors of said teams are applying pressure. So you have capitalism that is bulldozing over free speech and any type of athlete activism. So if you wonder why players are being silenced, maybe this is why I want to take all of that bullshit and I want to burn it all down. Burn. Burn. Lens, what you got? Yeah, this is something that's been bothering me for a while, and it reached a tipping point this week. The WNBA, uh, Lasia Clarendon, um, great friend of the show, wonderful point guard, um, got cut by the New York Liberty, and it was a surprise to many, but when you look at their um, salary cap situation and I guess uh, the team's Desire to bring on young talent, Um, you know, if there's some, I guess, logic, quote unquote, behind it from, you know, this isn't necessarily me ragging on the GM choices of the Liberty, but it's looking at bigger picture in the WNBA and how desperate we are beyond desperate for expansion because we are at the point with WNBA talent where we're just losing it. We're going to just start hemorrhaging talent in the United States. So right now there are 12 teams, 12 roster spots on each team, although teams only have to have 11 players on their roster and due to salary cap reasons, because the salary cap only went up about 30%, whereas the top salary before this last CBA doubled. Um, So what we're happening is teams spending more on their elite, elite players, right? And then everyone else needs to be on really cheap contracts, which is really 
rookie contracts. And um, it's we're just seeing so many WNBA players having their careers cut short. We're seeing so many young players never get a chance in the league. And there's no G League. There's no place for these players to develop, right? And um, I'm just kind of devastated. It's it's making players like a Simone Augustus, um, who probably could have played this year, but Simone decided to retire because – for one reason, because she knew spots were so rare on WNBA rosters and she felt like her body was nearing the end. So I think she might have retired earlier than she would have had WNBA rosters been closer to the 15 um, that NBA rosters are or if there were more teams in the league, more opportunities. And it's I'm just devastated by all of this. We've seen so many phenomenal players get cut you're not getting to see like we have right now on the Liberty, there's um, Beninaj Laney who it took her years to find her footing in the WNBA. And now she's literally one of the league's best players. And I don't think we're going to get stories like that anymore because there's not going to be places for these players to go. So I just like to burn the fact that people haven't come forward to fully fund new WNBA teams. And I just like to burn the lack of opportunities um, it's wild to think they're the same number of opportunities right now in the WNBA. Basically there were in the year 2000. And if you think about the number, how much more talent there is right now in the women's game than there was 20 years ago, I think that's absolutely infuriating. And there's only more talent coming in like every year, more and more talent comes in. And I know that, you know, getting cut is part of it. I know it's a business. I'm not saying under any system we'll lose good players, but uh, the bar is too high right now. The bar is too high for players to be able to make make a roster. And the women's game in the United States is losing too many um, people far too soon and burn. 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 After all that burning, we would like a little more levity. Brenda, can you get us started? Nina King is the first woman and racialized woman to become an athletic director of Duke University. I just want to say congratulations to everybody out there who watched the WNBA season kickoff 25th season, also up 25% from last year. Yay, you. Lens. Uh, so this week, uh, look, I know some people get... Uh, a little sick of the Sabrina Ionescu uh, stands. And we certainly want to highlight all players in the league, but her feet this week was just too much. Uh, she got, became the fastest player in WNBA history by three years to record a triple double, uh, which is absolutely mind boggling. She had 26 points, 12 assists and 10 rebounds to help New York beat the Minnesota Lynx last Tuesday. And the Liberty off to a great start. And Sabrina Ionescu, man, uh, she's she's good. This was her sixth career game. The second person to do it was in 99. Cheryl Swoops did it in her 59th game. Damn. Brenda? Kari Miller-Ortiz is a Paralympian and three-time medalist who will be doing analysis and commentary for NBC sitting volleyball during the Olympics. Can I get... A drum roll, please. You know I love that. <laughs> this week's torchbearers are the Santa Clara women's 
soccer team for winning the NCAA championship in penalty shots. And I just want to say that I was so excited about this because Santa Clara is the university that Juliet Paxton and Jasminder Bahamra went to in Bend It Like Beckham. So I can never not hear Santa Clara in Juliet Paxton's voice. So thanks, Jules. Congratulations to all these formidable athletes. What an incredible match to watch. It was riveting. It was also penalty shots. So for everybody and both teams involved, I just want to say thank you for that. And Florida State, you guys were amazing. And I hope you can you continue these incredible feats. What's good? Lindsay, what's good? So last night, uh, Friday night, I met uh, my cousins who are, you know, my friends in Greensboro at a bar and we had dinner (laughs) and one of them brought their baby who's 15 months and we all drank, not the baby, (laughs) but it was so much Fun. I think like I am good at self-isolating, even not under pandemic, you know, circumstances. Um, but I think that you forget what we've some of the quote unquote smaller things that we've lost. Right. Like during this. Do you know what I mean? I felt more like myself than I have in so long. It was my first real like outing, you know, like not having a mask on, we're all vaccinated, we're just, it just felt so normal, and I was watching a little bit of the Mystics Liberty game on my phone underneath the table, which once again, for me, that's back to normal, (laughs) so it was just perfect, and so the pandemic still exists, I know I'm very lucky to be in a place where most of my family and friends are vaccinated, and then I'm vaccinated, Um, but uh, look, I'm I'm gonna enjoy it. Amazing. Um, I'm gonna go next. I wanted to say that half of my babies have been first dose vaccinated and the other half will be upcoming this week. So I'm very excited about that. I do live in a hot spot, what's designated as the hot spot. So they're prioritized, but I'm also very grateful. It also means we're at risk as a racialized family as well. So I love that. Um, I just want to shout out my son, Salahuddin, my third guy who actually made the provincial training camp for volleyball again, which means he will leave me for 10 days in July. So I'm trying to plan how to go with him. And he's like, please don't come, mama. I'm like, no, I will get an Airbnb and be with you forever. Um, So I won't look at Lindsay's face. She's like, please don't do that, fat mom. (laughs) I know you're horrified. I know. And so obviously he's going to go and he's going to grow and he's so exhausted the last time he did this camp he he had to do it online last year and I watched him and I watched how the athletes had to practice and do everything online and to Lindsay's point what we've lost and it may seem like nothing but you know I have kids who's arguably the trajectory of their life was changed and hampered hampered and you know disrupted by this pandemic which is scary and terrible and you know, I think we shouldn't minimize people and what they've lost. And I'm really happy for him. And I probably will show up in Niagara at some point and just like drive by. Um, but I'll maybe not. Um, I also wanted to say that, you know, I'm recognizing the place where I am where getting vaccinated is possible and it, it doesn't cost anything. And that is something that I do really do want to recognize. Um, I also have been taken up by the Leafs and Canadians playoff series. Um 
which is something that hasn't happened in 42 years and which is a really big deal. So also shout out to Leafs captain John Tavares, who was hit with a really bad injury. So if anybody saw that, it was really horrific. And, you know, just sending lots of good prayers up for Johnny, the captain of the Leafs, something I never thought I would say, but I am saying it. Um, and that's about it. That's what's good for me, Bren. Brenny, Bren, Bren. What's good for me is as we are recording, I am stretching to do a half marathon, which means I will be so tired in a couple of hours that I won't be able to be stressed about anything. Um, Hopefully I won't throw up. I had some uh, Chinese food for breakfast. May or may not have been the best idea, but I did have oatmeal after that. So... uh, (laughs) I don't I don't really know what to tell you. Um if anybody knows my running style, it's I don't train at all. I just mostly run, you know, about 5 miles 6 times a week and I know people are like, "Ew, you're like bragging." Honestly, it's a, just my only mental health escape right now. Um it's got nothing to do with like competition. I'm so slow. I don't even look at my time, but I know that it's going to be a good experience just for just for my mental and health, physical health, getting outdoors. So I appreciate that my old ass body can still do it. I love you. And I am always awed by you doing this voluntarily. <laughs> um, Again, Shireen, hopefully most people out there aren't doing it at gunpoint. Like, <laughs> like If you are, please call 911 and don't listen to this podcast. I just thought of like... My brain automatically went to like somebody trying to. Sorry, this is real dark. Somebody trying to make that like the next fitness trend. You know what I mean? Like we will literally come over if you want training. We will literally come to your house. <laughs> Terrible. Oh my god. Oh, only in America. Only in America. The best. The, the, the next training program. Oh god. What are we watching this week? Well, WNBA season has begun and we are definitely watching that. The NHL playoffs have started as well as the NBA playoffs. The PWHPA is scheduled to begin and will be aired in unprecedented ways in networks that had never previously carried women's sports. So please watch it. The French Open, exclamation points times 15, added by Lindsay. So please watch that and eat a baguette. That's it for this week and burn it all down. And although we're done for now, you can always burn all day and night with our fabulous array of merchandise, including a brand new series of things at Bonfire. Um, what better way to crush toxic patriarchy in sports and sports media by getting somebody you love something with our logo on it? Check it out on our social media. It's linked. This show was produced by Tressa Verstag. Shelby Weldon is our social media manager. Burn It All Down lives on the Blue Wire podcast network, but can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We appreciate your reviews and feedback, so please subscribe and rate and let us know what we did well and how we can improve. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod and on Twitter at Burn It Down Pod. You can email at us, burnitalldown at gmail.com. Check out our website, www.burnitalldownpod.com, where you'll find previous episodes, transcripts, and a link to our Patreon. We would appreciate you subscribing, sharing, and reading our show. It helps us do the work we love to do and keep burning what needs to be burned. We wish you continued safety, health, and joy wherever you can muster. 
And as Brenda always says, burn on and not out.